Welcome to the King of Glory Lutheran Church Education Podcast. We are a Christian community of faith located in Williamsburg, Virginia. For more information, please visit us on the web at kogva.org. I want to thank Tara Wolf for uh, uh, subbing for me last week. Um, my intention is to continue to teach this class, even with the new positions that are here. It's good... I like to do it, first of all. It's good for me to do it. And, um, however, sometimes I can't be here. I was invited to speak at Williamsburg Christian Academy uh, for their 6th through 12th grade. And uh, I haven't done that in a while. So was, I didn't know how effective I would be in front of uh, middle school and high school. I'm not, not sure how effective I was when I was there. So. Well, Tara did a great job. Yeah, she did. Yeah. Well, let's pray. Let's pray. Gracious Father, what a beautiful day. What a gift in February to have the spring. So thank you, Lord. Uh, we thank you for uh, a filled room and those who are online that we can gather around your word and by studying your word, have a greater knowledge of you. So send your Holy Spirit upon us and within us. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right, so we are at Philippians 3. Uh, we're going to do half the chapter today, 1 to 11. We'll do the second half of the chapter uh, a little later. Well, next week. <laughs> um, we, we have a change of tone in chapter 3. <clears throat> chapter 1 and chapter 2 has been, I would say, um, a lot of thankfulness. A lot of uh, encouragement, uh, a lot of optimism, a lot of this is why you shine the light of Christ. If you read Paul enough, you'll learn that Paul cannot help himself <laughs> to have at least a moment where he does sort of bang the pulpit, right? So chapter 3 brings us to that, although it's not... It's certainly not his heaviest hit, uh, but it's there. So let's have someone read. We're going to read. Just someone can read the whole thing. Reverses, chapter three, verses one to eleven, please. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. I do feel like... Philippians has all the best quotes of Scripture, right? <laughs> At least many that we like to bring up. So, okay, what did you hear? Yeah, oh, you gave up everything. Yeah, so he gained all. <laughs> yeah, he's no rich young fool, is he? Right? He he understands the value of giving up the earthly and what it means to gain the heaven. And he. Continually tries to, to tell people that. Yeah, Carol. It's all right for you and for Paul to say the same things to keep reminding us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's repetition here, right? Yeah. Uh, I read to 
<laughs> I think it was the four-year-old class yesterday, and uh, in the preschool, and I at first chose a book that I had already read to them, and I was joking with Mrs. Darling, and I said, I almost brought a book that I read, and she said, we actually like that. That's good for them to hear it again. Just like a song or, or a movie, watch a movie. And I said, or a sermon. <laughs> you say a sermon. That's right. The ten greatest hits. Yeah, Jim. We may actually find it interesting yeah. where he's talking about how it's in the flesh. He's listing all these Hebrew attributes, a Hebrew and a circumcised and Benjamin. Then he says, persecutor of the church. So... He's counting that as a positive as being a Jew, I guess. Yeah, well, we're gonna, we'll are gonna come back to that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Kevin. You can't be so bad that Christ won't save you. Yeah. Paul, what Paul's doing, he's listing attributes of himself. And he's sort of doing, we're going to go deeper into it even still, but what he's doing so brilliantly is um, listing positive attributes in his culture that ultimately were negative attributes for his faith. <laughs> well, that sounds familiar. Doesn't it? Yeah. And I, I find that to be um, a difficult exercise for us, right? Um, that there are sometimes positive attributes in our culture that are not positive for our faith. And, and, and again, you know, I do, before we point to them, I, I first look here and say, what if I decided culturally is okay for Bill Harmon that God has said, I think that's very good for you, right? Paul also says the things I want to do, things I shouldn't do, I don't do. Yes. Yeah. Similar kind of concept here, right? So, yeah. Someone else? Well, I yeah. think... Oh, go ahead. Oh, Sue, Sue and then Mary. Okay. Well, of course, it has absolutely one of my favorite verses in that I... I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Of course, by doing that, you have to share in the, suffer in the sufferings uh, to become like him in his death. But the power, when we think about that power of resurrection in us, yeah. it can come without a cost, but I mean, what a power. Well, let's look at, let's think about that. I was, um, and this goes to Noel's point earlier too, which is to give up everything to gain everything. Um, I listened, was listening to, uh, I'm going to give you the context, but my comment has nothing to do with the context. Okay. I was listening to the news, and um, this commentator was speaking about Governor Northam and his current predicament. And the commentator was saying, uh, well, let us remember that forgiveness is earned. Now, not think, now, I'm moving away from Governor Northam, right? I'm thinking, hmm, there is sort of a repentant nature to forgiveness, right? However, while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly, right? The, the forgiving nature of God is regardless of our earned nature of forgiveness, Right? And here I would say, yes, certainly to live with Christ, we die with Christ. And that there is something about that. But we do tend to forget the resurrection power that is given to us, right? Uh, was this in Philippians or was it when we were in Galatians? Or was one of other Paul's writings that the same power, it was Ephesians, the same power that rose Christ from the dead is the same power that lives in you and me. That's powerful. If he had said trust, that would have been okay. You have to earn trust. <coughs> sure. Trust is earned. Forgiveness. Right. Yeah. Forgiveness. Yeah. But if there's forgiveness and then no changed behavior, isn't that cheap grace? Well, let's talk about that for a moment, right? So so if there's forgiveness and no changed behavior, it, the question is, is that cheap Grace, would we blame God for that or me for that, is what I would say first, right? Um, God's forgiving nature is available to us unconditionally. Um, I, what, I would, what I would think, Sally, and that is, did I truly receive the forgiving nature of God? And I've applied it to my life. That should bring forth a change. 
right? Repentance and forgiveness. Repentance plus forgiveness should equal change. Um, and I don't know that God's at fault for that rather than I'm at fault for that, right? So I may take it cheaply. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, but, but his forgiveness is still full, right? Um, and, and so that's, that's what I'm trying to make the distinction of. Not, uh, I think all too often Christians manipulate the forgiving nature of God to excuse poor behavior, to continue poor behavior, without a doubt. That is a Christian problem. That's a person problem, not a God issue, right? God is still a forgiving God who loves unconditionally and who, ha- who gives you the power to change. The question is, are you applying that, that sanctified life? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. I think we have to look at ourselves then. That's why I'm really glad Lent's coming up, because Lent affords us that, if not any other time of year, to say, uh, well, what do I need to do here to get back in line with God? Readjust. Pastor. Yes, um, we say in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Meaning, whether you've got good behavior or bad behavior, uh, you need food every day, and you need forgiveness every day. Yeah, right. And the, the challenge we have in today's society, and by the way, this is multi-generational, so I'm not blaming millennials here. I think boomers and Gen Xers and the rest are just as challenged with this, is this notion of, do we actually need to be forgiven? Right? This notion of, do I actually sin? Right? That's, that's a big question these days that people... By the way, that, that's... Satan loves... That's, he's re, Satan's so happy about that, right? Which is, it's the, it's the Garden of Eden. Right? You, can eat, you can eat that. Who cares? God's not be mad, right? It's who you are. <laughs> Just eat it. Just eat it. So we, since creation, we have been that way, which is, oh, this isn't as bad. This isn't that harmful. You know, if enough people agree with me, then it's okay. Did we come back to you, Mary? When I did, you say what you wanted to say before. I went to Sue. That's okay because that I was really it's gone. Right. We got it. No. Okay. Um, what I was looking at was um, about the that righteousness does not come from the law; that righteousness comes from faith in Christ. Yeah, yeah. This is the this is Pauline theology to the fullest, right? Mm-hmm. Which is what well, you can gain righteousness through the law. How? By being perfect. Right. <laughs> right. If you can follow the law perfectly, then you are deemed righteous. Um, let's hold on to that because it goes with what Jim was saying earlier too, and we're gonna we're gonna let's get into it because of our time today. Uh, it's a little shorter. Um, so finally, my brothers, chapter one, chapter three, verse one. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Well, what is Paul talking about? Some first, some believe that he's perhaps talking about the word rejoice, right? I can say rejoice to you. He's already said it in the last two chapters. I'm saying rejoice again. By the way, why do you have reason to rejoice? Because you're the Lord's. We would argue. He may be saying, not that, but rather, he's warning against dissensions within the church, right? I'm going to talk to you again about the dissensions in your church because um, to you, it's no trouble, and to me, it's I'm safe. I'm, I'm in jail, <laughs> right? And you're already in trouble over there, so let's just deal with it. Some theologians believe that chapter 3, verses 1 to 19, ready for this, are part of a totally different letter from Paul, <clears throat> and somehow got connected with this letter from Paul. Throw that wrench in the system, right? Or perhaps Paul is talking about, and I believe this is actually what he's talking about, and I believe that you can make a case that this is part of the letter. If you read Paul, um, he often has tangents. (laughs) Um, I believe what he's saying is, I think Paul clarifies what he's talking about in the next verses. 
So I can write the same thing to you again. I can say the same thing to you again. Well, what's the same thing? Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. By the way, he doesn't mean this dog. He means this dog. (laughs) Just to be clear, we don't mean this one. We mean this one, all right? Uh, Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Well, here, if you want to circle a section in your Bible, if you do that, here is the main argument that Paul is making, I would suggest to you through most of his epistles, that this is a foundational theology from Paul to his early church. Look out, be warned here. Um, And then Paul has this group. Um, First he says, look out for the dogs, right? Interesting. Dogs were considered by Jews in the first century as the most despised, insolent, and miserable of creatures, and unclean. They didn't like guy. (laughs) Too much. Turn to Matthew 15, real quick. Matthew 15, 26. Let's start with 25. But she came to knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, "It It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Right? So here's another example. By the way, there's a couple things. There's oftentimes cultural issues that we need to define when looking at Scripture. So, for example, let the little children come to me. We love that, right? Because we love children in church. We love to see the kids' choirs sing when the priest will come. Children were regarded very differently in the first century, second century, third century, 15th century, right? Uh, <laughs> Uh, read up on the, the kings and queens of Europe and what they did with their children, right? Mm-hmm. So so we have to make sure, like when we, they say, watch out for the dogs, what do you mean? I've got a cute little guy at home who, who can be anywhere in the world and hear me open the peanut butter jar. <laughs> and all of a sudden, like, stealth, be right there. I'm with you. <laughs> and, he, and he does this slow, like... <laughs> I'm waiting for uh, Yes, I'm sorry. This says bring, bring me back in the scripture. Not dogs. What's that? This says puppies. It says puppies. Oh, really? Really? What version is this that? This is back. Is that American the Super Bowl Sunday? Uh, puppy Bowl? Right? I just thought it was odd that he would translate it to puppies. That's wild. Maybe if we put this mouth on that puppy, that's what he's talking about. You know, children and puppies are together in the same... Could be. Could be. Yeah. What about donuts? Oh. <laughs> Something different? You wouldn't think that that dog is dangerous. Well, you might not think a puppy is dangerous, but he's saying, yeah, you have to watch out for a puppy. Yeah, all right, good. Yeah, Maybe good. it is his puppy. Yeah, that's right. Got rabies. So in a way, <laughs> yeah. you're very much aware that that's the dog is dangerous. Yeah. 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 Warning sign. That's good. Yeah, John. I want to share an experience that I had that helps me understand this sort of thing. I was in Europe in a hotel in a small town. And at 2 o'clock in the morning, a pack of, of feral dogs ran through the town, like a dozen of them, maybe more. Mm-hmm. They were just barking and yowling and snarling. It's like anything that was on that street, they were going to tear into it. Right. So we don't have dogs like, like that, that. Yeah. here. So what we have got, everybody, that's the dogs, and, and even in their shelters. But this was... They're just dogs nobody cared about. They formed a pack, and they're going to take out the world, and they were everything. Yeah. And the the pack nature is important, too, right? That they're grouping together, working together. Here, what Paul's saying is to continue destruction. Yeah. Dee? Oh, I was just going to say, there's something. I I thought it was with um, 
Goliath, or where they send out David, to, and he says, "Am I a dog?" Right. You know, like. Yeah. Why would mm. Yeah. Again, not yeah. considered a... Oh, good dog. <laughs> yeah. So then look out for the dogs. Look out for evildoers. And I'm going to just read to you. 2 Corinthians 11.13 For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, dis- disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. Evildoers. Right? And also look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Well, you know what this is. Right? The circumcision, the Judaizers, right? Uh, Galatians 5, 12, 10 to 12. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who's troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettled you would emasculate themselves. Yeah. I love each other, right, Paul? Okay, so... <laughs> Clearly, we get now, thankfully, finally in chapter 3, verse 2, a clearer idea of who Paul's talking about. More than likely, Judaizers could be possibly in Philippi, but certainly people who are trying to pull you away from Christ. So let's apply this to ourselves. We, too, have to watch out. For the dogs, and I think Pastor Woodhoff makes a good point. These are the easy dogs to watch out for. The the ones that look nice and then snap at you, right? Those are or these feral dogs in the pack. Um, Evildoers who who want to pull down the gospel, and let's say um, um, the mutilation of the flesh. I I think we could come up with quite a list of things that we have decided, uh, even today, as Christians, that we put our confidence in that is not God, right? Things in our lives that we put our confidence in other than God. Things that we do to our lives other than God. So the warning is still there for us. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Verse 3. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Romans 2, I'm going to read it for you, 25 to 29. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? I love Paul. Then he who is physically uncircumcised, but keeps the law, will condemn you, who have written code and circumcision break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. So what Paul is saying here is what he's saying here which is we live our lives to the glory of God, and that is our circumcision. Don't forget, circumcision was a sign of the Abrahamic covenant that God is God and we are now his people. Well, now how do we display our lives as people of God? We are the circumcision. We are living the life. People look at us and they see Christ. See, that, this is what he's saying. We live it. And then Paul gives, it's interesting, look at verse 3. Three affirmations of Christian status and privilege. He says, what do we do, those of us who are in Christ? We worship by the Spirit of God. So, here's the Holy Spirit inspiring us and enabling us, right? Right? Uh, that's one. Uh, to the glory of Jesus Christ, our boasting is not in ourselves, but in Christ who alone has brought us salvation. And we no longer put our confidence in flesh. Works righteous. Cheap grace. <laughs> I'll go further. Rituals. The, our confidence isn't in those things. 
some of those things, by the way, Paul does defend circumcision in other places. What Paul is warning against is that when these become have-tos in place of Christ, what Paul's warning against is people who are disrupting the whole, the unity of the church by these outward, these, these outward signs when it's changing the witness of the community. So, something for us to be mindful of. What we do and who we are can be good, but they do not become our God. <coughs> I forget what the next slide is. Okay. Alright. So, don't forget the situation in Philippi, right? There are people from the outside of the church who are persecuting the church, and there are people inside the church who are disrupting the unity of the church. And don't forget what Paul's concern is. Paul's concern is, what is the witness of the church? What do the people of Philippi see in you? His concern is, right now all they see is you bickering with each other, fighting with each other, and that is a poor witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think I said this three weeks ago. I'll say it again. We as modern day Christians have to get out of the cycle of beginning with the negative. And always approach in the positive. Here's what I mean. Um, tell me about your church. Well, it's a contemporary service at 11 o'clock. <laughs> but it does have an 8 o'clock, right? Or, I'm giving another example. Tell me about your church. Great. Sometimes I have to go on the ground a lot, or I got to wait for people to leave. Harmony goes too long, right? Um, <laughs> what I'm saying is, sometimes it's our nature to, to be negative in a negative society. And I, one of the insights Paul has given me is, uh, what am I? If I only have this moment with you, what am I leaving you with, right? So I'd rather say, even if I'm not happy at my church, I'd rather say. Um, one thing first, that's good. Mm, uh, you'll hear the gospel. Okay. Right? Uh, you might hear better at eight. No, no, no. It's not. <laughs> uh, or, um, you know, it could, be a, it could be a thing of a thousand things, but I think that for us as Christians, I think what Paul is saying is let's focus on who God has made us to be. We're the body of Christ. Right? And look at all the things that Christ did. When, when Christ engaged people, uh, he wanted them to experience his love. Didn't mean that he didn't have standards. Didn't mean that he didn't have lines in the sand that wouldn't be crossed. But he wanted them to see the light of his love. And that's what Paul is trying to tell the Philippians. Make sure people see the light. Now, Paul's giving us an example in chapter 3 where he still says, Yeah, but be warned, be warned of these things. Paul's not accepting the dogs. He's not accepting the evildoers. He's not unafraid to sit call a spade a spade, right? He's not afraid to do that. But he's doing it for the sake of the witness and for the sake of the gospel, right? So then, to Jim's point earlier, then he goes in to great Paulness. Uh, again, these are verses that often Paul gets kicked for for being arrogant. I think he's actually being humble. So, listen. Worship God in spirit, verse 3. Glory in Christ Jesus, put no confidence in the flesh. The reason I can tell you this is because I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. If you want to know if anyone should have confidence in the flesh, it's me. Look at all the things. In fact, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel. You Philippians are already from the people of Israel, right? Uh, of the tribe of Benjamin. We'll come to that. A Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law. Okay, let's stop there. Let's just go to this first section here, right? If you want to know, if you want to know someone who has a right to boast in these things that you're hearing people boast about, it's me. I'm going to go further. And I'm telling you to stop doing it. So Paul shows them who he is. Paul admits 
that he was worse than the Judaizers. That he's worse than the evildoers. That he was the dog. This is what he's saying. Hear me out. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> These things in themselves are not bad things. Please don't misunderstand me. What he's trying to make the case for is, you're listening, you want a voice to listen to, mine is the voice to listen to. Because I was there. Okay? Circumcised on the eighth day, Leviticus 12.3. Right? We know that. Abrahamic covenant. Paul's also saying, I've been a Jew from birth. Not a convert. I'm from Israel. Right? What does that tell us? Well, the covenant was with an elect nation. God created this nation for his purposes to be fulfilled. And I come from it. You Romans think you're so good? <laughs> right? He's not saying that. I am. Um, tribe of Benjamin. Ready for this? <clears throat> Small, but held in high esteem. It contains the holy city, the tribe of Benjamin. It contains the temple of the Lord, the tribe of Benjamin. It remained faithful to David, even in troubled times. The first king comes from the tribe of Benjamin. Yep. So you want to know where I'm from, right? That's almost as good as being from Baltimore. <laughs> A Hebrew of Hebrews. Now this is interesting. Um, so he's born a Hebrew, right? Uh, he, some would say he could also speak Hebrew and Aramaic. Many believe that Paul's family fled to Tarsus from the town of Galilee when the Romans came in. That's what Paul was born in Tarsus. What Paul wants you to know, though, is he's a Hebrew. Then he shifts. So this is part one. Then he shifts more of his qualifications. Then he says, um, as to the law... So, my culture was this, or is this, and now to the law. I was a Pharisee. I had zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. I can't help but think how many times Paul thought back to Stephen's stone. And in this moment, and I like, I took, there's a lot of pictures, by the way, of Stephen Stoning, when you look on, on Google. I like this one because of the self-righteous sort of stance. Sort of like, yeah, kill him. Kill him. I, I am, I am a, I'm 100% right. <laughs> Imagine that. I'm 100% right. Only now to say I'm 100% wrong. Right? So um, I'm going to keep going for time. But then he says, I love this. Blameless. Who wanted to follow the law? Mary. You want an example? It's Paul, right? What he's saying is, judged by the standards of legal righteousness in Jewish culture, he was he'd be found blameless. He had all the credentials, right? There is there is evidence that some rabbis held out the possibility of blamelessness through a strict observance of the law. Provided the performance was complete, Paul had claims, Paul here claims to have qualified by that standard. So, not quite perfection, but pretty darn good. <coughs> pretty darn good. Let me see what's next. Okay, good. All right. So, Paul says, look, if you want to have this conversation, we can have this conversation. I fulfill all those things. Now we're... Now we're going to Noel's point. The reason he's building all this up, verse 7. So powerful. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. I had I had everything. Some would argue that Paul could have been on the line to be the chief priest. I had everything. And all, all of this is nothing 
when it comes to Christ. The knowledge of Christ Jesus as Lord is not only superior to the privileges of Judaism and religion, it excels them to such a degree and so outstrips them that it must be considered in a class apart. Christ, everything else. Christ, everything else. Friends, we're not all there. I mean, you have to love these words from Paul, right? We love them, but we're not always living them. We're not always living them. We, we want to cling, our nature, human nature, is to cling to something other than Christ. And to let that be what gives us some, some satisf- satisfaction, if you will. Paul is willing to take all that is his, five and six, and write that off as a loss. <laughs> Tax season, right? Um, he is not, I thought this was interesting, he's not content just to dismiss them, or even become indifferent to them. Rather, he rejects them with honor and treats them as liabilities. Wow. Right? So he doesn't just say, yeah, I was a Pharisee. Uh, or, um, well, just forget about the fact that I was a persecutor of the church. <laughs> right? You know, they didn't have social media. People would forget. He, he, truthfully, he could go into town and no one would know who he was. Wanted to. Right? He doesn't do that. No. He says, that is all nothing. I reject all of that. It's a liability to me. It stands in the way of me knowing Jesus to the fullest potential. This whole idea of gain and loss. I need a bigger book. Someone remind me to ask the woodworkers to make me a bigger book. Okay? Um, Mark 8.36. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? This is what Paul's talking This is what Paul's talking Okay? And then we've got this great, great verse, verse 8. Can't find it, there's 7. Okay, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, trash. Some translations would say... Waste. And I don't mean like down the drain waste. Like, don't. Yeah, I mean down the toilet waste. That's where you go. Um, I consider it waste in order that I may gain Christ. Paul now includes not only his Jewish culture, not only his Pharisee uh, certificates, <laughs> He, he says, in fact, everything is lost when it comes to having Christ, because Christ is so much greater. Even the privileges he could claim as a Christian, he then says, do not compare, right? So I'm suffering in jail. That's rubbish compared to what Christ brings to me in my life, right? In essence, what Paul's saying is, how do we get to a point where we rely on nothing but Christ? <clears throat> the, the best example I can give you today is I keep going back to Betty Templer, Joyce Seltzer's mother, who, when told, you are going to die. You have, an erupt, you have a rupture here. If you have surgery, you might not make it. If you don't do anything, you might not make it. And she said, I've, I'm ready to see my Lord. She made that decision, right? Um, how do we get to that before we're 92? How do we get there at 46? Or at 27? 27 is my age. I said 46 for some right? Yeah. If you want to feel slightly older than you may feel, 
do chapel at WCA, okay? <laughs> you walk in, you're like, you're a, you're a 10th grader? You look like you're three, you know? <laughs> okay, so the knowledge of Christ Jesus is not only superior to... Oh, that's our end. I did that. Okay, let's go on. I'm a little frazzled because of the time, so I apologize. So he says, so what is knowledge? What, what do you think he says, the knowledge? I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of... No way to be right. So the knowledge is Jesus Christ. This is important. It's important on many levels. Uh, we'll point the finger outward, and then we'll point the finger inward, okay? Um, it's not Buddha. It's not Muhammad. It's Jesus Christ. And uh, it's not this service or that service. It's not this way or that way. It's not French fries or tater tots. It's Jesus Christ. Those are virtually the same thing. Whether we have a steeple or not. Jacobler <laughs> <laughs> said that. I did not say that. <laughs> I have a line ready. I've got a couple lines ready. Don't you worry. Here's one of them. I'll give you a hint. You're the steeple, Jim. Ooh. You're the steeple. That's one of them. You're afraid of heights? All right. Then you're the basement. Okay. You're the new basement we're going to have, all right? Uh, 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians. Where am I? 2 Corinthians 4. Um, we, are, uh, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. So, what Paul is saying in, to the Corinthians is, when you have Christ, when you have the knowledge of Christ, even in your suffering, right? He says, I have suffered loss. Um, is he thinking about Damascus? Uh, is he thinking about his privileges as a Jew? Is he thinking about his privileges as a Christian? What he's saying is all confidence in the flesh uh, is cast aside so that the confidence of the Spirit can win my life and take me over. So I count all that as loss, all that as rubbish. Notice the language he uses, so that I may win. I may gain the prize. To win is to have Christ as the prevailing nature of who you are. Uh, Melanchthon, who is Lutheran, by the way, uh, says, To have Christ is to know him in the intimacy of personal trust, and surrender is to know his saving benefits. So this personal trust and surrender. And then Paul, on verse 9, I think we're going to make it here, guys. I think we're going to do it. Verse 9, and to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes from faith in Jesus Christ, a righteousness from God that depends on faith. Now Paul shifts the conversation to the end, to his last days, to judgment day. And what he says is, I want to be found in the righteousness of Christ, not in the righteousness of my own marriage. By the way, think about that. That is huge for Paul. He's come a long way. Granted, he had to be blinded for three days to get there, but right? That is huge for him. Um, Galatians 2.16, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So what Paul is saying is, look, I, I count everything I have as lost because I have gained everything in Christ. Let's, let's just take a survey. And, uh, um, what's the word? Uh, the word? A survey of all the things we've gained in Christ. Say some things. Resurrection. Life everlasting. Peace. Grace. Grace. Mercy. Mercy. Love. Joy. Joy. Love. 
pretty good so far. And we just said that's the tip of the iceberg, right? So the question becomes for us is, what are we doing to make sure that those things are staying in the forefront of our lives uh, rather than the things of the flesh? Because frankly, we're constantly surrounded by the things of the flesh, right? Paul says, when Christ comes again, or when I stand before Christ, uh, my words, the only thing that I want to be able to lay before him is Christ in me. That's what I want him to see in me. Not that I was a Pharisee, not that I was a persecutor of the church, he really didn't want that. Um, not that I was in jail for so many years, or that I wrote all these letters, or think about what Paul's talking about, or that I founded all these churches. I mean, he could boast if he wanted to boast. And he says, look, the only thing I want Christ Jesus to see in me is himself. Then he goes on, verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings because like becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may obtain the resurrection of the dead. So here again we have the power of his resurrection, which is liberty over death. Resurrection from the dead means overcoming sin. It means new life in his name. So we share in his suffering. Read that already. 2 Corinthians 4. I got ahead of myself. Uh, being willing to suffer for the sake of Christ, just as Christ suffered. Suffering is part of the Christian experience. We've talked about that several times. Um, and some theologians believe that um, the apostles believed, and I think you can make a good case for this, that, um, that suffering was... Uh, that suffering was an indication of your Christianity. Look at the apostles. Um, and certainly that the, the apostles certainly were taught that in, to be an extension of Christ, you're going to suffer. Right? And that we join Christ in his death. In Christ, our old nature dies, and we rise to newness of life. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Well, where does this happen for us? In our baptism. We die with Christ, and we are born to new life in our baptism with him. Ultimately, our goal is Christ living in us. The completion of the work of grace awaits the resurrection of the dead. As Christians, we await the glorious day all the while living each day in God's grace and mercy. And I made a little note here, a PBH note, which means it wasn't from a theologian. <laughs> it's from your local theologian. Any means possible, when Paul says that, uh, means um, giving up the rubbish and focusing on what Christ has done. So now take this half of the chapter in the context of the letter. Right? Take this half of the first half of the letter of the chapter in context of the whole letter. <clears throat> Philippians. Do not forget what you gained in Christ. This is what he says in one and two. Philippians. The things that you're arguing about, they're dangerous. But what's more dangerous is that you lose what you gained in Christ. Philippians. When you focus on yourselves, when you focus on the things that are separating you, you no longer are focusing on Christ, and your light doesn't shine in the community. One and two. Read one and two, you'll hear all that. So, chapter three is important, and that's why I think you can make a case that it is part of this letter, because what he's saying is, look, I have a whole litany of things I could have kept that are valuable, that are highly regarded. And I consider them loss. They're rubbish. They're trash. Christ has to be first in my life. You too, Philippians, think of all the things that you are counting as something greater than God and set them aside because you've been given the greatness of God's eternal love for you. For us, today, we then take time to look at our pantry of faith and say... Uh, what's in our pantry that shouldn't be there? 
the road. What trash is in there? What's expired? <laughs> right? Uh, my, our small group made um, dinner for the homeless shelter for Monday. So we made it after church on Sunday here. And we need to make room. It's a good sermon. We had to make room in our refrigerator for our food. But when I opened the refrigerator, it was filled with grossness, let me just say. Uh, furry fruit. <laughs> um, really old pizza. And lots of expired things. So what do we do? Right? And this is what I love about church work. Some, one of the kids come up and said, are you allowed to throw all that away? <laughs> and you know what my answer was? I don't think so, but I am. <laughs> don't tell Mary that I did not. <laughs> so... This is what, that's what Paul is, I think, leading us to do today, which is what's in your fridge, what's in your pantry, what's got to be moved around so that the, the all-surpassing power of Christ is what's first and what sustains you. By the way, that's hard work. It's not easy. And Paul doesn't say it is. Okay, so... Um, Let's pray. A reminder to you, if you haven't signed up for Rise Against Hunger this Saturday, it's a great event. Assembly line, we make food for people. You can still sign up. Bring a friend if you want. Sign up. Just let us know you're all coming. Um, we have a cluster in nine minutes. Or, if you want to come back tonight at 7.15, you can do that too. Um, and that's all for today. Let's pray. Almighty God, we glorify your name this day for the unconditional love that you shower upon us, your children. Through the cross and the empty tomb, we gain mercy and grace and love and forgiveness, a relationship with you and eternity. Glory to you, O God, for, for those gifts. May they so transform our lives and change us, Lord, that everything else is rubbish, that nothing else matters more than you, and that you would be the first in our lives and guide every aspect of our lives so that we may be drawn closer to you day by day and give witness to your light in our lives. I thank you for these men and women, for those who are online with us today, and I pray that your spirit be upon them and within them. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening to the King of Glory Church Education Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God and his people, grow in faith and love, and live through service and sharing. Visit us on the web at kogva.org.